Hey friends, it's Mark James. Today is Wednesday, the 13th of December. I bet you can't believe I'm back three weeks in a row. I made a promise and I'm keeping that promise. I'm currently sitting in the brown leather chair, the new one, in the corner of the living room, right by the Christmas tree, looking up at the McAllister Lego house, which is lit up, just basically living the Christmas dream. And I'm sitting in the chair at uh, three minutes to 5 p.m., a little bit later than I was intending to record. But to be honest, it's been a busy day. I've been getting a few things done and I didn't get out of bed until 1.30 p.m. Now, why did I not get out of bed until 1.30 p.m.? It's because I didn't go to bed until almost 4.30 a.m. So before I get into this week's, well, not this week's notes, just the notes, which obviously stretch back as far as America, and which is over two and a half weeks ago. Before I get into that... I had an event yesterday. <laughs> it's been a funny old week. Let me just recap on anything that's happened since last week. Well, not that much, to be fair. Um, Wednesday, obviously, I recorded. Thursday, did Tattershall Lakes Christmas show. Friday off. Saturday, Tattershall. Sunday off. Monday off. Then we come to last night. So not a busy week by any stretch. I've just been working on the new show, Wonders, designing some different logos, merch, all sorts of different stuff. And, um, yeah, last night I had Kate and Bay in Scarborough. And so I set off like normal. I was in plenty of time. All was going well. And then when you arrive at the venue, you've kind of got two options when you arrive at the venue. You can go left or right when you pull into the park. And both ways will lead you to something of a backstage door. If you go right... You drive on pavement and nothing but, and you end up at a fire door, which is actually in the venue. It opens into the venue where the guests can see you. But if you go left, you have to drive across some grass, quite a bit of grass as it turns out. But I've done it a million times. I've done it basically every single time I've been there for maybe 12 years. You drive across the grass and you go round to the backstage door and there you are. You're parked right at the backstage door. It's no problem. It's great. So that was pretty much my intention. I set off across the grass off the path and I got maybe 15 feet when the car started to very much slow down. <laughs> and then I realized that I was still throttling the car, but the car wasn't moving. And I realized I was stuck in wet grass and mud. So I stopped instantly and I put the car into reverse and I tried to very, very slowly, gingerly, one might say, reverse out. We're talking high amount of, uh, you know, throttle, very low amount of clutch, just very slowly easing it up in the hope of just getting the car out. Low gear, just very slow turning of the wheels, trying to create some traction, getting the car reverse back. There was none to be found. So I tried it in forwards. Still none to be found. The tyres were gaining no purchase at all. Just stuckness. So I waited for a minute. And I kind of, I thought, I know what's happening here. But it's not, it's not going to happen to me. <laughs> you know, this isn't going to happen to me. I've got a gig. I'm on stage in half an hour. There's no way that this, that is clearly happening to me, is happening right now to me there's just no way that's not what's happening it was happening i was completely stuck the car wasn't moving so i waited a minute 
And then I tried again, very slowly, once again. And then I stepped out of the car to have a look at the situation. And my entire foot, up to the ankle, plunged. <laughs> plunged into about five, six inches of incredibly dense, soggy, wet, basically marshland. And I knew instantly the car was not going anywhere without some assistance. So I decided to be proactive and I got out of the car instantly and I ran to uh, the security hut and I asked the security guards if they would give me some help. And I have to be honest in saying, and I'm not pointing any fingers, but if they ever listen to this podcast, they can identify themselves. I felt like one of the security really was trying to help and the other one was trying to do anything but help. One of them clearly could not be bothered with my situation at all. And every time a suggestion was made of a thing we could do, he had a reason why we shouldn't or couldn't do that thing. It's quite a powerless situation for me. And I, I basically said, listen, if you don't want to help, that's all right. But what else are you here for? You know, this is supposed to be, this is why you're here. Site staff, security, this combined job, that's what you're here for. Anyway... There was no help for, uh, forthcoming. I went to the uh, bins, the big bins, to see if there was anything, discarded bits of wood or, you know, just something that I could use to just get a bit of... Because if you can get something under your tyres, if you're stuck like that, one of the techniques to fix it is to get a bit of wood or something, you know, planks, and pretty much just kind of wedge them under the tyres in the direction you're trying to travel in the hope that... When you get your tyre, when the tyre starts to turn back, it will grip that thing and either you will move backwards on that thing or forwards on that thing or that thing will be pulled under the tyre and in either case, it will allow you some forwards or backwards movement from the position that you're in and you might be able to get free. There was no wood or anything. What there was was like a 50-inch television box so I got this 50-inch television box and I put it across the front edge of the car and I tried to kick it into position so that it was wedged under the tyres and uh, still, no joy. My car is a front-wheel drive, a front-wheel uh, car drive and so it just wasn't moving forwards at all. So I grabbed the gear, the props, and I went into the venue and I set up for the show and I thought, you know, the show must go on. Whatever is happening in the real world outside of the show is not, it can't affect getting on stage on time. You know, my job is my job. I have to do the show at the time the show is supposed to happen. So I got my stuff in. I set up. I did all the music set up and everything. I did the show. To be fair, the show was great. All uh, There weren't many people in. It's very quiet. And I had another strange thing where, because they had a team show on at the same time in the venue, like after me, there were some big bosses or something in from head office that were coming in to see that show. And so they very specifically wanted to get that show on at a certain time. And there were a few changes in the program leading up to the show. And essentially what that meant was that they asked me if I could just do half an hour. The boss said to me, do you mind just doing 30 minutes instead of 45 so that we can guarantee we get the show on on time? And I said, yeah. <laughs> so I don't mind. It's funny whenever people ask you to cut down your performance. They ask you as if you'll be bothered, as if you love performing so much that the idea of doing 30 minutes instead of 45 will devastate you and you'll argue with them. Maybe people do that, but I'm certainly not one of them. I said to her, I don't mind putting my regular clothes back on now and just bailing. Like if I do a minute and a half, three minutes, five minutes, 
I'm honestly not bothered in any sense of the word, just whatever. She went, all right, great, if you can do half an hour then. So I did half an hour and I came off literally to the minute, to be fair, exactly 30 minutes later, I came off and um, got changed, carried all my gear back to the car. And then I was in this situation. I need to just open the door and let some air in because the heating's been on, it's giving me a headache. All right, I'm back. I, um, I don't know what it is, but if the heating's on in the house and I'm too near the radiator, it's quite a stuffy heat. Just gives me terrible headaches. It happens in the morning quite a bit if the heating's been on in the bedroom before I've woken up. I'll wake up with a banging headache. I don't know what it is. It's got like a congestion and the, it's like the inside of my head feels like it's been in a microwave. Anyway, I'm fine because I've now opened the door and let a bit of cold in. Um, so I'm back at the car and all my gear's in the car and I'm in the car. And I figure I've got to call the AA, roadside assistance. So I get on the app. You don't actually call them now. You just use an app to signal for assistance and you let them know in the app what's wrong. So I do all of that stuff. And the time is currently 9.10, no, 9.35 p.m. It's 9.35 p.m. because I'm out quick and straight out to the car. And the assistance thing says that the AA will arrive at 10.45 p.m. So I think, okay, I've got an hour and 10 minutes wait. It's not the worst thing in the world. I can handle it. I'll just sit here and wait. So I do. Then 10.45 comes around and nobody has arrived. So I refresh the app. Nothing happens. Then I close the app and open it again like a force refresh. And then suddenly I get notifications that they're going to arrive at 11.40. So that's another hour away. But not only are they going to arrive at 11.40, it's not going to be the AA. It's going to be one of their partners. You know, like a, in certain areas, maybe the place is a bit remote or whatever. They have contracted partners that they use that are not part of the main body of the company, but, you know, do various jobs. And I get a notification to say that one of these companies are going to help me. Now, I'm not going to name the company because I am slightly going to needle one of the people from the company, although I'm going to massively praise a different one. So um, the company, I see the name and I go on Google and I decide that I'm going to ring them and uh, find out how long they're actually going to be. Get some, you know, be to the, straight from the horse's mouth, get it from the monkey grinder. <laughs> Not the monkey grinder, the organist, the organ grinder, the monkey. Why, why is it the monkey, not the organ grinder. What's the difference between the monkey and the organ grinder? Hang on. Monkey and the organ grinder. This would be a strange one. The organ grinder, not the monkey. Oh, there's a Wikipedia entry about it. Uh, alternative forms, the organ grinder, not the monkey. Etymology. Oh, there's no wiktionary. Etymology. Street organ grinders. Oh, here we go. Street organ grinders, historically used monkeys to perform tricks and attract interest and money. So what's an organ grinder? Is that just a player? Organ. It must be. Do you call a player of an organ that walks around a grinder? A street musician who plays a barrel organ. Well, there you go. Bloody hell, that's fascinating. Um, there's a picture here as well of an, a guy with an organ and then a monkey with a little costume on <laughs> <laughs> I'm saving that. That's going in the show. I love that. The monkey, not the organ grinder. So, oh, hang on. Speak to the organ grinder, not the monkey. Do you know the person? 
there's loads of stories here. Oh, there's loads of pictures of organ grinders and monkeys. Anyway, you know the phrase. Speak to, <laughs> speak to the organ grinder, not the monkey. It means speak to the boss, not the lackey, basically. What a fascinating... Um, what a fascinating trip down the lane there to find out exactly what that meant. Anyway, so I decide to call the boss and find out what's going on. The company, they're actually rescuing me, not the AA. And a guy answers, and he sounds like an old fella. And he goes, hello? <laughs> and I thought that it was a voicemail at first because it was quite strange. He, he said something else. I didn't hear what it was. I realised now it was the company name. And I waited for a second because I thought it was on a voicemail. I was trying to work it out. And then he said it again. And I realized it was a real person. And I went, oh, hiya. Um, I think you're doing my rescue, at, which sounds very damsel in distress. Hello. I believe, sir, you are rescuing me from this situation. So I said, um, I believe you're doing my rescue at Caton Bay. And he went, well, I hope you've got a thermos and a blanket, a sleeping bag. <laughs> which is not the most helpful thing in the world to say. I hope you've got a flask and a sleeping bag. And I laughed and I went, oh, don't say that. Is it that bad? And he said, well, we've got a lot of situations on tonight. People keep getting stuck in fields. And I went, no, that's me. I'm stuck in the field. And he went, oh, okay. And then I could hear somebody else in the background trying to talk to him. And the other person who was trying to talk to him was on a radio or a phone or something. And he was going... Is he a Caton Bay surf school or is he at the holiday park? And then the guy who's on the phone to me goes, what? <laughs> and then I heard the other guy say, is he at the surf school or is he at the holiday park? And the guy who I'm on the phone to goes, what? <laughs> now, bear in mind, I can hear what the fella on the radio is saying via the phone call perfectly but the fella that i'm on the phone call to cannot hear what the guy on the radio is saying at all so i butt in and i say tell him i'm at the holiday park not the surf school and he repeats it oh no he doesn't he goes did you hear that and then the other guy goes yeah and he goes all right we'll be with you as soon as we can and he just puts the phone down and then about 20 minutes go by and the phone rings and it's a random number which typically i wouldn't answer but in this situation it's pretty obvious who it is and he is a fella and he goes, I am mate, it's Jack. I'm from insert company name here. I'm going to be recognized. I'm going to be rescuing you. And I decide to just one of the funny things that you have when you're a performer, I think, is that you walk around in the world with an incredible level of openness and willingness to divulge yourself, who you are, how you feel about things very, very openly, incredibly quickly with other people. Because 90% of your life is shared working with other people who are just like that, other performers. That's why performer friendships can get forged incredibly quickly and incredibly deeply. Because say you go into a show, you know, say you go into a show with 12 other people, like a pantomime or some sort of, you know, like what I'm in now at this place, Tattershaw Lakes. Say you go into a show like that, you're going to be with these people quite intensely for a month, five weeks, six weeks. And then at the end of that gig, you will never see 95% of them ever again. That's just what this life is like. You spend an incredibly intense amount of time with some people and you make a thing together and people watch that thing. And then when the thing is over, 
all those people have of it is memories and all you have is memories of being in it and you very rarely carry those friendships forward except in extremely rare circumstances you don't tend to keep in touch with people you've worked with even under that white hot heat of putting a show together it's a funny thing so what that means is you learn quite quickly that the only way to have anything that really feels like a real friendship is to uh move quickly. You don't walk slowly when it comes to opening yourself up and letting people know what you think and feel about things. Because by the time you get to start to get to know someone after five, six weeks, it's time for them to go. So what you have to do is get to know them in the first five, six hours, the first five or six days, you know, you you fast forward your friendships and you become incredibly open. And I live like that most of the time. You know, I go into shops and people say, how are you? And I just tell them, you know, well, you know, this has happened or that's happened or whatever. And some people might think that that's a quirky attribute. Some people might think that it's annoying or like, why is he telling me that? I don't give a shit. I just want to sell him this T-shirt. That probably happens quite a bit, but you can't really change who you are. So when you get to know people, you give a lot of yourself very quickly. Most of the time it goes, you get a chuckle or it goes fairly unanswered or the other person just is not on your wavelength at all. Last night, the phone rings and a guy says, hi, mate, it's Jack from insert company name here. I'm doing your rescue at Caton Bay. How's it going? And I just say straight off the bat, I say, Jack, I honestly think I'm going to cry. <laughs> and he goes, oh, mate, what's happening? Tell me about it. And I can tell straight away I'm talking to a really like nice, open, like proper guy, a good dude. And I, I tell him, I say, well, I was here to do a magic show. And I give him the whole story that you already know. Tell him everything that's happened. And he says, oh, my God. He said, um, I won't do the joke about, you know, magicking yourself out of the situation then. And I say, well, I won't do the joke about you being called a mechanic. You being a mechanic who's called Jack. And he says, I've had that myself quite a bit. And I said, well, there you go. So we have a bit of a laugh and uh, a catch up. <laughs> <laughs> like we've known each other forever. I mean, I really do start most conversations with people like I've known them for 10 years and uh, he fills me in on the whole situation and he's in a bit of a tricky spot because he obviously wants to get the jobs done, but he's also already at a job. And the reason he's just sitting there is because he's having to fully rescue that person's car, but that person cannot leave the scene until a taxi arrives but they've broken down on the motorway so he's trying to arrange a taxi to come and pick someone up from the motorway it's quite strange circumstances but he can't leave the person until they've left the scene he, and he can't take the car so he tells me it'll probably take half an hour 40 minutes and then he's 40 minutes away which is a bit devastating but it finally rolls around to 10 to 1 5 to 1 in the morning and I see some lights, and I realise straight away it's a big truck, and I get out and I wave at him, and he goes, all right, mate, <laughs> and I think, I'm in safe hands here, so he sorts it all out, he reverses the truck up to the edge of the grass, he gets a giant winch, like a proper, um, like a, a long metal cable, twisted metal cable, with not even a very big hook on the end, and he hooks it to part of my car, uh, underneath, and it start, and he tells me to get in, take the handbrake off, start the engine, but don't press the pedals or anything. Just steer as he's instructing me. So I sit there and basically the winch pulls the car 
out of the mud, just slowly retracts it off the field and onto the path. And as soon as we're on the path, I'm basically free to start my journey again. And so I stand there. And to be fair, he's a really nice fellow, this Jack. So we stand and we have five, ten minutes of just conversation and banter about different stuff. And um, share some. He spends as much time on the road as me, obviously. So we share some audio book and podcast recommendations. Uh, I think he might listen to this, you know. So if you do, hey, Jack, thanks so much for saving my life. You're an absolute legend and uh, I appreciate you. Um, so we shared some recommendations and, you know, I went and he went and that was it. It was great. I mean, it wasn't great, obviously. And then I drove home and I got back in at about five past four, no, 10 to four in the morning. And then I did my usual little jobs and I came to bed, you know, sorted some stuff out for today. But yeah, it was an arduous, arduous trip. And, uh, I should have been home before midnight, but I got in at four o'clock in the morning. So not my favorite day ever, but I was still smiling. And even then I knew last night, I knew in the moment last night that it would be a funny podcast story. While I was being rescued, while I was talking to Jack about it, I said to him, this will be a funny story <laughs> at some point. So let's get into uh, the notes from last week, because I know where I'm at now. I know where I'm at on the days and we're about to break into Sunday. I can't remember exactly what I talked about last week, but I know that I've left the Sunday notes open. And I know that last week I had Joshua on the podcast and we talked about it a little bit. So let's just get quickly through the end of Chicago so that this Chicago LA catch up doesn't take four weeks. So Sunday I was lecturing at the Chicago Magic Lounge and um, everyone was super nice, although it was not especially well attended. There was about 15 people there. And uh, that's all right. Some of them were magicians from the Magic Lounge. Some of them were magicians I'd met in the past, you know, just a, a good mix of people. It was pretty nice. It was a lovely environment. And I lectured in what they call the 654 Club, which is like a parlor size venue. To be honest, it's probably got about 40, 50 seats. But... Um, it feels big. It feels a bit like a big space. So I lectured in there. It was great fun. And then I had the afternoon free. And of course, this is when Sarah and Joshua were doing their own thing. And they were going to um, ice cream parlors and stuff like that. And so I went off with a magician who is local to Chicago f called Ryan Plunkett. I don't know that Ryan's from Chicago. I know he's lived in New York. I wonder if I can find out. Not that anyone will really mind on here if I get it wrong. Where is Ryan from? Is he from Ohio? It just says Chicago-based sleight of hand magician. But um, I don't know. I feel like he's from somewhere else. I cannot remember. Anyway, it doesn't matter. So I hung out with Ryan. Ryan's a great guy. He's a fantastically good magician. And uh, he and I have become good friends over years and years of bumping into him for little sections and seeing him for five minutes here and five minutes there. So he took me to his local record store because uh, he knows that I love records. And it's one of the things we connected over. He took me to Rattleback Records, which is kind of in the Andersonville area of Chicago, near where the Chicago Magic Lounge is. And I was thrilled when I saw they sold T-shirts. I now basically exclusively only wear T-shirts that are either from record stores I've visited or burger places that I've eaten at. 
<laughs> I mean, I have T-shirts from In-N-Out Burger, from Action Records in Preston, from Rattleback Records in America, from other three or four different record stores, I bought T-shirts. And uh, I decided that as I was in a Chicago music shop, what I should do is buy records that were released by artists that are from Chicago. So I looked up who was from Chicago, and both Mac Miller and Fallout Boy are from there. Did I buy Mac Miller because he was from Chicago? Hang on, there was another reason I bought it, though. Mac Miller from Chicago. I think he is. Um... Oh, no, he's from Pennsylvania. The reason I bought... That was it. Now I remember. The reason I bought Mac Miller is because they sold in that record shop the NPR Tiny Desk concert. Mac Miller has a great NPR Tiny Desk. If you don't know what that is, you should Google it. It's basically a YouTube show where they have different musicians on and they play in a small space behind this desk and people at the NPR office um, watch them. But it's really cool. Like Olivia Rodrigo did t has done two, actually. Hosier. Uh, just loads of different artists have done them and they're always interesting but uh, Mac Miller did one and that's how I found out about him and you couldn't buy that record in England but Ryan sent it to me sent me a picture of it because I bought a Mac Miller record here and he sent me a picture of his Mac Miller collection saying I like this guy and he's got everything so I saw the NPR record and really wanted it couldn't get it here then I saw it in that Chicago store and I bought it but I also bought Fallout Boy because Fallout Boy are from Chicago that was it and I like them, and I don't think... I didn't already have any Fallout Boy records, so that's a collection that started. And they're from Chicago, which feels... I mean, what's funny about that is that the record was probably pressed and made in Germany, <laughs> because that's what happens. A lot of records are pressed and made in Germany. It seems that most records are made in either Germany or Turkey. I'm just having a drink. Although, I don't know the reasons for that, but a lot of records are made in Germany and Turkey. So, a, a record that was probably made there has been shipped to Chicago, and I've bought it from Chicago, even though it was made closer to my house. But, you know, I'll always remember that Fallout Boy from Chicago, and I bought that record from Chicago. I attach a huge amount of significance to the places that objects come from. I really like having stuff that is from places that I like. I love having T-shirts from record stores that I've visited. And I love buying weird collectibles and stickers and stuff. Even trainers or sneakers, as uh, my American friends would say. I love buying stuff from places. Because whenever I use or wear or look at that thing, I remember that it came from there. It really sets in for me. I do attach a lot of significance to that. I don't know why, but I do. So um, I bought those records. And then it was time to go back to the Chicago Magic Lounge. And a really funny thing happened. I was doing the 7pm show. It's Sunday now, so there's only one show at 7pm. And I'm doing this trick that I do where I have to ask the audience for loads of different numbers. And one of the ways that I generate numbers is via strange questions. And I ask them to attribute number answers to those questions. So I'll say, give me a wave if you ate something today, not including the food you've eaten in this venue tonight. You know, if you ate something before you came here. And a guy waves and I go, what did you have? And he said, uh, 
Italian food. And I said, okay, let's narrow that down. What kind of Italian food did you have? And typically what will happen is they'll say spaghetti bolognese or whatever. And I'll say, great. How many times do you think you've eaten spaghetti bolognese in your whole life? And they'll say 1,435. And I'll say, great, that's our number then. And we move on. But this guy said, when I said, what did you have that was Italian? He said, I don't know. <laughs> and I said, how can you not know what Italian food you had? And his girlfriend said, well, he's Italian. And I said, oh, so every meal is Italian. And he said, yes. Now, there is a small backstory to be had here. And the backstory is that there's a trick that I do in my shows always where I encourage a child in the audience to heckle me and tell me how the trick works. So they say, that's a fake egg. And I say, shut your face, kid. What's it got to do with you anyway? And it always gets a big laugh. And then when I do my show for just adults, I tell them that this normally happens. I tell them that at this point, a kid usually shouts out. So let's recreate that moment. And I point to someone in the audience and I ask them to pretend they're 10 years old. And I say, so when you see that this is a fake egg, you shout, that's a fake egg. And I'll show you all how to handle it if that should happen in future. So the person shouts and I say, shut your face, kid. What's it got to do with you anyway? I always get into the situation some way or another. But when I gig in Chicago, I always make an extra joke, which is where I say, but this is Chicago. Some of these kids could be connected. So I and the audience will laugh and I'll say so instead I'll say and I say something nice. So I've set up that idea that I understand that Chicago has like a gangster history, you know, Al Capone and all that sort of stuff. So then later in the show, when this guy says he's Italian, I say, you're Italian. Oh, okay. So all food is Italian. He goes, yes. And I go, wait, you're Italian in Chicago. And the guy goes, yeah. And a few people start to laugh. And I go, I just want to say that it was only ever supposed to be a joke. I was just trying to have a nice time. I didn't know, but... Thank you for coming into our venue. And if there's anything we can do for you at any point, um, don't hesitate to ask. You know, you just let me know if there's anything I can do to make your experience better um, or any of that sort of stuff. And as I'm saying this whole thing, the piano player, there's an improv piano player at the Chicago Magic Lounge. He starts to play the Godfather theme. <laughs> <laughs> and it gets a huge laugh because as he starts to play the theme, I get down on my knees and I'm basically begging for forgiveness. I just paused so I could try and recreate the moment for you. I've got the theme on piano on YouTube, so I'm going to play it while I talk so you get the full feeling of it. So he said, so you're Italian in Chicago. Yes. Listen, I just want to say I'm really sorry. It was only ever supposed to be a laugh. I just wanted us all to have a good time. And I want to say thank you. We are honoured that you've chosen to come into the venue at this time. And uh, if there's anything we can do to make your experience better, you make sure you just let me know, sir. I just... Uh, I, I, and then I get down on my knees and I start to cry. And I say, I have a little kid at home, man. He's only 11 years old. And I have a wife. And I have a little dog, too. I just want to get home and see them one more time. So all this stuff is happening. And it absolutely brings the house down. And the guy in question stands up and starts applauding. So I walk towards him and I put my hand out to shake his hand and he goes to shake my hand but instead I turn it over and I kneel down and I kiss like a ring that's on his finger 
It, oh my gosh, it might be one of the funniest things that's ever happened to me in all the time I've been performing. Just, you know, like a, a funny ad lib moment that somebody else joins in with, like the piano player, this improv piano player that's in the venue. And part of the show, you know, he's played along to loads of my tricks and stuff. That's what he's there for. He just gets the vibe and he knows how to play that song and he starts to play it and it just... It was just a perfect storm of things. And I really, in that moment, wished I'd recorded every show, but I didn't. Never mind. <laughs> so then we went to Portillo's, which we talked about with Joshua. That was kind of like a greatest hits of Chicago food. And then before you know it, it's Monday. And Monday is the day we're leaving Chicago, although we're not actually leaving till 11 p.m., and we've got a full day in Chicago. But thankfully, the Magic Lounge... They booked our hotel until Tuesday. So we had the hotel the whole of Monday. So it means we didn't have to get out too early. We could go back and get our stuff from there before we went to the airport. We could get showers again before we went to the airport. All the things, the logistics of life were basically solved in an instant when we were given the hotel for one extra day. It just made everything easier. You didn't have to book somewhere to hide your cases or ask the hotel to keep them or any of that stuff. It was just great. So we went out of the hotel in the morning and we visited Navy Pier. And I love Navy Pier. It's... um. It's kind of weird because there's not actually that much there. It's basically a giant gift store, but it's kind of nice. It's a nice little thing to take a walk down. I ran around it, of course, uh, days that we were in Chicago. It was the route that I took to run. And uh, I just like it. There's something cool about it. I bought some stickers from it. There's food there. There was like a fudge shop on there. There's a big uh, music hall room at the end of it. And there's all flags up at the end, like America, the United Nations, all this different stuff. It's pretty nice. It's like a Chicago landmark. And then we left Navy Pier and we went for pizza at Lou Malnati's. Now, Lou Malnati's is a famous Chicago pizza place. They've got loads, of course. And I think I talked last week about how Chicagoans, they consider thin pizza that's cut into squares to be Chicago pizza, whereas we all consider Chicago pizza to be deep dish. Although in England, that's frustrated further by the fact that here, when you say Chicago pizza, what you usually get is just a thick base and it's not actually deep dish. So it's kind of a, it's kind of a weird thing. But um, we went there to Luminati's for deep dish pizza and the sausage deep dish is just, it's ridiculous. The amount of cheese in it, they must put, I'd love to know what the weight of the cheese in the pizza is. Just the calories from the cheese are spectacular. <laughs> <laughs> it's insane. The cheesiest thing known to man. It's remarkable food. It's more like a quiche or a pie than it is a pizza. It's uh, just a, th I mean, you know, you can look up proper Chicago deep dish and you can look up Lou Malnati's too. Lou is like L-O-U, the name Lou. And then his second name is Malnati, M-A-L-N-A-T-I, Lou Malnati. And, um, it was very nice. And our server was super, super, super nice as well. And she had a really good chat with Joshua and talked about England and stuff. And um, yeah, just a really, really nice, nice experience there. We had a good time. Did our last little bit of walking around Chicago and then headed to the airport and got to the airport a bit early, like three hours early for an internal flight. The airport was basically empty. But Chicago Airport, of course, is where Kevin McAllister gets lost from his parents in Home Alone 2. You know, they live in Chicago and they are flying from Chicago to New York. And 
Are they fl- no, they're not flying to New York. He gets lost in New York. They're flying to somewhere else. I can't think of where they're flying to. Are they flying to New York as well? But do they go on a do they go to JFK? Hang on. Where are the McAllisters going in home alone too? They're going to Florida, of course, and he does he has an argument because he doesn't want to go to Florida because there's no Christmas trees because it's sunny. And he says, Who would want to go to a sunny place at Christmas? Because he wants snow. That's it, obviously. So they get to a certain terminal. And he goes one way and they go the other. And we were at that terminal. I recognized it instantly. I recognized it last time I was there, but I knew I was in it again. And I wanted to double check so I could take Joshua's picture in there. So I walk up to two security guards and I said, is this the terminal that's in Home Alone? And one of them went, yes. And then the other one went, this terminal's in Home Alone. I love that movie. And I thought, how can a police, how can an airport police officer who works in Chicago airport, not know that the airport that he works in is in a movie that he likes and the terminal that he's sitting in. I mean, that's the quality. That's what you're being looked after by. They're the people who are allowed to walk around with guns on the hip. He works in Chicago airport and he didn't realize it was in the Home Alone movie. It's quite remarkable. So, um, Anyway, I took Joshua's picture in front of that and all was well. And then we flew to L.A. And finally, Monday night was actually very, very early Tuesday morning. We arrive in L.A. and my friend Taylor picked us up. And um, oh, my gosh, it's late. His daughter Maddie was there, too. Was she there? I think she was. I know she came to drop us off. I can't remember if Maddie was there when we got there or if it was just Taylor and the Sarah and Joshua and... No, I don't think Maddie was there. Anyway, um, he picked us up and we went back to his place and it was late, 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 late. So we basically all just went straight to bed. Now, Taylor in his garden has got a huge like motorhome trailer and it's really nice. I love it in there. I love when we go there and we stay there. It's super nice, super cozy, just well appointed. It's got everything you could possibly ever need. And uh, we went to sleep very quickly. And then I got up in the morning at 6.30 and started to get on with running. Now, you might remember that I'd been looking forward to running in LA for four months since the last time I ran in LA. The last time I ran in LA, I was really just thinking, I can't wait to get out there and run there again and feel um, there's something about it that's just better. There's something about LA that just makes me a better runner, whether I run better or faster or something or I'm more keen. It might be the very, very slight downhill, but it's, I mean, it's not noticeable, but there is a very slight downhill. There's certainly no uphill and it just makes me run better. I just run with more confidence and pace and my very best time when we were there last time for a 5k was 27 minutes and 35 seconds and on this instance this Tuesday when I haven't run for a day and a half I ran 5k in 26 minutes and 49 seconds 26.49 I never would have thought that was possible for me a sub 27 minute 5k just think if I did that twice in a row, if I got to be capable of doing that twice in a row, that means that I could do a 10K in 54 minutes. 54 minutes. And then if I could keep that up twice, I could do a half marathon in like 
an hour 50, an hour 55, a sub two hour marathon, half marathon, sorry, would be possible for me, which would be insane because my current half marathon time is two hours 23. So I don't know. It's just something about it that was great. I really loved it. I ran like the wind and uh, I got a 26.49. So I was pretty pleased. The first day in LA, I thought I'm never going to beat that time. And you know what? I was right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the rest of the week, I ran like 28 minutes, 27 and a bit minutes. I did equal. I did beat my previous best time again, but not by the time that I beat it on Tuesday because I ran every day in LA. I loved it. Um, and that day we went to Pasadena and I started buying stickers, obsessively buying cool stickers. There are so many places in LA where you, and in America in general, in fact, they really actually care about and like stickers. And I love stickers. I love the aesthetic of putting them all over a MacBook or toolboxes or uh, flight cases or whatever. And they're really hard to buy in England. If anybody knows a store in England that sells cool stickers, and I don't mean like... Um, you know, packs of random ones where you get 50 for £10 off eBay or anything or Amazon. I mean, an actual store where you can walk in and buy them. Because there was a clothing store in Chicago, also in LA, called Zoomies, and they had them. Um, And then Vans had... I mean, loads of different places just had stickers, and I bought loads of them. So I started buying stickers, and then we went for our first In-N-Out Burger. Now, if you don't know what In-N-Out Burger is, I suggest that you go and Google it or check out a picture or whatever. Because In-N-Out Burger is the best burger chain in the history of burgers. I just love it. It is 75 years old. Uh, They are based out of California. They're only West Coast. And I'm just looking now. It was founded by Harry and Esther Snyder in 1948. I wonder how many locations they have currently. Oh, they've got 387 locations, which seems insane to me because um, I didn't think it was as big as that. But it's just the best. It's so consistent, so nice. Their burgers are absolutely unreal. I bought one of their T-shirts. All the ingredients are fresh. Um, I'm just looking, you know, right now. Counties with at least one in and out location. There's a map and... They're not just in California. That's insane. I did not know this. Unfortunately, I don't know which states are which. I'm going to have to get a map up, American map of states. I certainly can tell that one of them's in Texas. I know which one Texas is. Uh, But I don't know. I don't have like an instinct of American states without looking at a state map. So let me just get that up. So, because from American listeners, this could be very interesting. I do think I could potentially name all the American states, by the way. I just don't know which ones are which (laughs) without looking on a map. Oh, my God, everything's blurry. Just give me a good map. Jesus Christ. I'm trying to... Okay, finally, I've got it. Oh, now they want to consent to go on the website. Okay, here we go. So I'm looking at two different maps at the same time. They have them in California... They have them in Oregon. They have them in Nevada, of course. I knew that they were in Nevada because uh, there's one in Vegas. They have them in Arizona. They have them in... Uh, not in New Mexico, but they do have one in Colorado. And they've got some in uh, Salt Lake City, Utah. 
oh, I've been offered gigs in Salt Lake City. That might be the turning point, you know. Knowing that there's an In-N-Out burger might be the thing that makes me go. They have them in Texas. Um, they have them in... I think that's it. So there you go. So they are predominantly West Coast. Well, I got briefly interrupted then from recording because Sarah called me and I've got Do Not Disturb on my phone, but Sarah and Joshua's numbers are both on a list of people that ignore the Do Not Disturb. If they call me, it still works. So there you go. Anyway, so they've got in and out at all those locations. It's an absolutely phenomenal burger. And if they've got them in Salt Lake City, Utah... That could make the difference to me booking this gig, this thing, Mystique Dining, that I want to do anyway, but I didn't know when I was going to do it. But if I know I can get in and out, <laughs> that makes it a very attractive premise and makes me want to do it. So that was that day anyway. So we had our first in and out on the night and explored Pasadena and stuff. Then we went back to the house and I think we had tequilas and stuff. Tequila, um, oh, what is it called? What's the... Uh, What's the cocktail that you have with the tequila? Not a tequila sunrise. Tequila-based cocktail. Tequila. I'm going to have to Google as well. Sarah hates when I Google. Tequila-based cocktail. It uses other stuff as well. Um, oh, God. What is it called? 18 cocktails. Margarita. Jesus. Yeah. A margarita. I love margaritas, by the way. A lot. So we had margaritas that night. And then it's Wednesday, and Wednesday is Nacho Day. Now, there's a place near Taylor's house. I think, I feel like it's called La Celteca or something like that. I can't remember the name, but it's uh, uh, amazing. Like, really, really insanely good Mexican food place. It's very unassuming. It looks like a warehouse from outside, and inside it's just a big open space. It looks like the Titty Twister Bar in From Dusk Till Dawn. <laughs> <laughs> the way it's decorated and everything. But uh, they do absolutely unbelievable nachos. So we had nachos that night. That was the whole plan that day, was to go out and have nachos. Taylor and I did loads of other stuff during the day as well, which I'll tell you in the next section of the recording. I'm going to have to pause the recording and do more later because we're going to some Christmas markets together and I have to drive me and Joshua there to meet Sarah. But... Um, yeah, the nachos on the night were absolutely phenomenal. Sarah had like this burrito plate thing with all sorts of different meats on that she shared with Joshua. I had this absolutely insane burrito. And then Joshua, I think, I don't know if that was the first day that he absolutely brutalized the toilet, but I know that Mexican food goes right through all of us. It's a family trait. Well, it must be a uh, hereditary because it it does it to me but it doesn't do it to Sarah and it does it to Joshua so he must have caught that from me but the Mexican food on this occasion went through all three of us it was a hell of a situation but um I'm going to pause there for a sec and then I'll record the rest a little bit later on so that I can still get this thing out on a Wednesday uh I don't know why I do this but here comes a pause speak to you in a sec friends <laughs> should have just paused and never told you but it's too late now hey friends I'm back so I've just been to the Penwitham Christmas markets it was every bit as exciting as you thought it might be. <laughs> Although it was very cold. It was very sweet. It was very nice. There's loads of nice people just milling around. We bought some cheese, some Christmas ready cheese. Truckles, a circle of cheese in a small wax layer is called a truckle. So we bought uh, five of those different flavors, mainly whiskey based because they're the ones that are so hard to get. And, you know, most cheese you can get all year round, but the whiskey 
cheese. It only seems to come back at Christmas. So got two orange and whiskey cheeses and one malt whiskey cheese. That won't be it. I'll find more before Christmas comes. I always buy whiskey cheese if I see it, but you don't always see it. So we did that. But the rest of the stands, the few places that were doing hot food were just had queues that were insane. So we didn't want to queue and wait. So we came home and Sarah's making hot dogs and Sarah makes unbelievable hot dogs. So I'm looking forward to that. And I think tomorrow... I'm going to start being healthy again, you know. Tomorrow, Thursday, is going to be two weeks until I go to Singapore. So I really need to knuckle down. And I've just been feeling a bit crappy recently. Just little niggles and little, you know, bits and bobs, just feeling a bit not with it. Um, Kind of just sore arms or legs or I've got like a bite on the back of my leg at the minute, I've just noticed. And little things where I just keep getting in the bath and thinking, oh, that'll soak away the little aches and pains. But actually what it is, is just lack of motivation. What I need to do is just get back on the peloton. I need to start being healthy again. I need to stop eating loads of shite and just be good and get some weight off. And if I do that, all of the things that feel crappy will resolve themselves, I'm sure. So I need a bit of positivity around that. I need to start just being good and getting some positivity back on the go. And that will be, that'll be it really. So I'm going to eat some shit tonight though. (laughs) I'm going to have hot dogs, maybe a sandwich later. I've been playing, uh, staying up late quite a bit recently. Like the last few weeks I've been staying up and watching films and doing design work and all sorts of different stuff. And it's just... I don't know. I need to start getting better bedtimes as well. Back to the 10 rules. Back to the going to bed at 11 o'clock and being good. That'll be very easy in January because I've basically got no gigs. So January, I just need to lock it down and be an absolute saint. Just all the good habits in January will be good. Anyway, I'm going to finish telling you about this Wednesday that I was on and then we're going to eat dinner. So I'll still have from America. It's going to roll on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And that basically encapsulates the gigs that happened when I was there and uh, flying home and going to John Gorn's studio and loads of other crazy stuff. So plenty more to tell you about. But uh, Wednesday was Nacho Day, as I told you. The Nachos were on the night time. Before that, that was a day that Taylor and I uh, decided to go out by ourselves, just the two of us. Sarah and Joshua went off and did their thing in LA somewhere. I don't actually know where they went. They went to Claremont and some other places. They went on the train, the two of them to hang out. And me and Taylor had other stuff to do. So we drove over to Studio City, which is where the Magic Apple Magic Store is, and caught up with uh, Brent, who's the owner there, Brent Garris. He's a great guy. And I bought a few things. We had to buy some Rubik's Cubes, which we didn't end up needing for a trick. Although Taylor did make me a new Rubik's Cube in a bottle. And with the new setup and the new way things are made, I now have the ability to solve the cube in the bottle too, which I couldn't do before. So that's new and exciting. So we bought cubes for that. Uh, We went to In-N-Out again, (laughs) just me and Taylor. So I had In-N-Out again for the second. That's two days in a row. I actually think... I had in and out every single day because I had it on Tuesday with everyone when we landed. Uh, Sorry, when when we got up. Then I had it on Wednesday with just Taylor. Then on Thursday, Taylor and I had it on the way to the Comedy Magic Club. Then on Friday, we had it in Culver City on the way back from a gig. We didn't have it on Saturday, but we did have one last one on Sunday. So in LA, we had in and out every day except for Monday and um, Saturday. Wild. And we only didn't have it on Saturday, I think, because we couldn't find one. <laughs> or oh, it was out the way or something like that. So anyway, 
had in and out again. I ran in the morning though, and I ran a 28 minute mile that day, which considering I'd run a 26, whatever the day before, 26.49, 28 minutes, I was pretty pleased. I didn't push myself quite as hard. And I just, it, it really all happens in the last 10 minutes of the run, you know, you're at a point where you're thinking, right, if I go the pace I've gone now, you know, say you're at like 18 minutes, you're thinking, right, I've ran two nine minute miles here. So I'll have to run another nine minute mile. And then for the last little bit, the point one of a mile, I'll have to kick on again. You know, I'll have to keep that pace up. And part of you just thinks, do I need it again two days in a row? That last te- nine, 10 minutes, sometimes it's because you've already messed up. You're already at 20 minutes and you think, well, I can't. So you slow down a bit. And sometimes it's because you're not quite there. Um, Sarah just put out, Sarah just put her hand in the door to ask me if I wanted one, two or three hot dogs. I mean, the answer was, of course, three, but I don't know why she did it silently. We're not broadcasting on the BBC. <laughs> you could have heard her ask me how many hot dogs I wanted, and I would have still told you I picked three. Um, then we walked around Upland, where Taylor lives, and Taylor lives in a real greeting card-style town. It's it's probably got about 20 stores in it, maybe 30, but they are literally like collectible shops, record shops, independent brands there's no chains or anything there's two different little coffee shops there's like a mother and baby store there's antique places it's just like the perfect little town it's everything you really want if that town existed an hour away from where we lived in england i would drive to it all the time that'd be the place i'd visit on like a weekly basis i just love the stores there it's really really cool and um we went to some record stores too actually we were going to go to some record stores uh, in the city, but we didn't. We waited to try and do that the next day. But we went to record stores in the town where Taylor lives. And I didn't find any records that I wanted, but I did find more stickers. But there was a cool record store in his town. I don't. I didn't buy a T-shirt from there. They didn't have one. I was trying to buy Cody Fry, a record by a guy called Cody Fry that I really like. I'm using some of his music for my pre-show again next year. And I did this year, to be fair, but I'm using different stuff next year, some new songs that he's got out. I just really like the vibe and they really fit with the show that I've put together. So I didn't buy that record, but we did decide to try and look for it. And I'll tell you whether or not I found it on next week's episode because um, that's what happened on the Thursday. So anyway, that's the end of the Wednesday. Obviously, food's getting plated up. Um, I don't know how long this episode is today. It's probably 52, 53 minutes. So at least I guaranteed another one next week. Look at me, I'm back. I'm back on a weekly basis. So the next episode will be the 20th and then the 27th. And then the next day after that, we go to Singapore. And then the week after that, if I manage to post an episode on the 3rd of January, a New Year episode, then it will be, um, it'll be from Singapore. So here's what we'll do for this week. If you can, if you remember, um, next week will be sort of a Christmas episode because it'll be the last episode before Christmas Day. So if you've listened to this, do me a favor, yeah, send me a message. And there's so many people who send me messages and go, you haven't done an episode for a while. And then when I ask questions, fewer people answer questions that I ask than send me messages asking where the podcast is. (laughs)
So I just had a quick break again because a friend of mine called me, somebody else that's on my favourites list, and they can still ring you when you're on Do Not Disturb. I feel like this podcast's been in about eight different pieces. It's like a Netflix series in 10 parts. Anyway, the thing that I was about to say was, if you've just listened to this podcast, help me out. It's going to be the Christmas episode next week. Send me a message on Facebook, Instagram, whatever, and just tell me the best gift you ever got given for Christmas when you were a kid or the thing that you always wanted that you never got, the thing that you always asked for. There's loads of stuff on my list, like the Ghostbusters backpack that I really wanted when I was a kid, uh, things that I got that were bizarre and I really enjoyed. I'll talk about them next week, but send me a message with your best ever gift that you got as a kid and the thing that you always wanted but never did get, and then I'll talk about them. They give me something to chat about. Right, that's this week's episode. Bye, friends. Oh, my whole family are in the room now, by the way. So everyone shout, bye, friends. Bye, friends. The dog can't talk. Bye, friends. Wolf.